fast, a song that we've sung here numerous times. And so in that spirit, let's join our brothers and sisters in Ukraine this morning in praying for them. Heavenly Father, we join our hearts with the Ukrainian, our Ukrainian brothers and sisters who this week have been captured on video of uh, praying out in the public square, gathering to worship in underground subway stations, gathering as we have just seen in homes, and they are not fearful. They are, they have not lost hope because their trust is not in horses or chariots or governmental leaders or the strength of their army. They are turning to you and they are trusting in you to keep them and to hold them fast in the midst of this war that they find themselves in. And so, Father, our prayer this morning is bold. Because commentators and five-star generals and those who know war and know geopolitical, the geopolitical environment in this world have told us that Ukraine cannot withstand Russia. And yet they have stood longer than anyone believed they could stand. And Father, we come to you because you are the God of David and Goliath. You are the God who even says in the text that we will read this morning, to have faith in you. And not only have faith in you, but have faith that you and you alone can do the impossible. And so this morning we pray along with millions of other brothers and sisters in Christ all around the globe who are praying this morning that you, the God of the impossible, would do what is impossible in this situation. But Father, we know ultimately your will will be done. And so Father, we pray that no matter how you choose to answer our request this morning, that we will have confidence that you rule and that you reign no matter what. Father, you told us we have not because we ask not. And so, Father, we ask
for what we don't have and what we desire. But Father, even more than that, we ask this morning that you would give us the grace to trust that whatever your answer might be will be what's best. Strengthen our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, if you will, turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 11. Exodus chapter... Exodus. Mark chapter 11. I don't know where it came with Exodus. Uh, Mark chapter 11. Uh, the title of this morning's sermon is simply, Have Faith in God. Have Faith in God. If you don't have a Bible or... Uh, a device that has a Bible on it this morning that you can follow along with. The verses will be on the screen this morning. <clears throat> so the text says this, as they passed by in the morning, they saw a fig tree wither to its roots. Now, remember last Sunday we talked about this fig tree and about Jesus' uh, uh, cursing of the fig tree and also Jesus going in and uh, turning over the tables uh, in the uh, in the in the temple, and so now what we do is we pick up. Now let me set the timeline. We are in the final week of the life of Jesus, and this would be Tuesday morning. So we have now entered Tuesday morning, and just remember that by Friday Jesus will be on the cross. And so Mark has sixteen chapters, and so we can see that we still got many chapters to go, but only just a, really a, a few hours. Uh, left in the in the life of Jesus, and so there's going to be a lot that's going to be packed, uh, compacted into uh, these final hours in the life of Jesus. And so it says, as they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its root. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, he said, Have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And, whatever, and whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive your trespasses. I'll give you one big thought about this passage this morning. If you're taking notes, you might want to write this down in your notes. I think this will be very helpful in future days <clears throat> for you to come back and revisit this summation. And the reason is... Is because one of the verses found in our text today is often used by what is called the, the Word of Faith movement. It is the most popular form of evangelical Christianity uh, on the planet today. It is growing rapidly, but it is also leaving behind uh, a... a, a, a uh, it, it is, in its wake, is left behind many who become very disgruntled with the Christian faith. Why? Because it is simply a, a, a theology and a way of thinking about God and believing 
that is not Christian at its core. And so this, this verse that we read where Jesus says, have faith in God. And, and, and if you believe without doubting, you can tell this mountain to be thrown into the sea. And so this positive confession, this, this would be one of the verses uh, that Joel Osteen and those that find themselves in that camp cling to and, and tell people, you must confess positively, you must b- believe, and if you believe, it will happen. You can speak those things which are not as though they were, meaning that you can speak things into existence. Why? Because you are like God in that sense, that you have the, the, the power of words to speak something into existence. And so this, this brand of quote-unquote Christianity, which is really not, it's a false form of Christianity, is, uh, has been gaining speed and momentum for several decades now. And, and like I said, and, and many gravitate to, to it because of its positive nature, because of its uplifting uh, words. But yet, it has left in its wake millions, I would say, of people who now struggle with Christianity because they dotted all the I's, they crossed all the T's, they had the faith of a grain of a mustard seed, they did everything that they were supposed to do, and yet their faith was undoubtedly not strong enough to twist God's arm into answering their prayer, doing what they had asked Him to do. But this morning, if if we were going to sum up this little section of verses, this is how I would sum it up. Faith in God expressed in prayer makes the impossible possible. Yet answered prayer is impossible without forgiveness. Now we're going to kind of break that apart and break that down this morning. Faith in God expressed in prayer because that's what prayer is. Prayer is in and of itself an act of faith makes the impossible possible, yet answered prayer is impossible without forgiveness. Andrew Murray well said, Christ actually meant prayer to be the great power by which His church should do its work, and the neglect of prayer is the great reason the church has not greater power over the masses in Christian and heathen countries. I think there's a lot of truth to that. I tell you, I mean, if you, if you just want to get people not to come to church, just tell them that the service will be a service of prayer. Now, we could have some famous person come in and speak, and we'll, we'll, we'll fill the house. We could have some... Uh, uh, some well-known musicians show up and, and, and we can fill the house. But to say, let's all get together for a time of prayer and we'll be hard-pressed fre- hard uh, to draw much of a crowd, if any crowd. The power of the church to truly bless rests on prayer. Asking and receiving heavenly gifts to carry to, to men. Have faith in God. The great missionary Hudson Taylor said, God uses men who are weak and feeble enough to lean on Him. God uses men and women who are feeble enough to lean on Him. 
He is faithful when the religious establishment and institutions fail. Trust the one who judges hypocrisy with severity and extends amazing grace to those who seek him in faith. Now, when Jesus says to the disciples, uh, uh, have faith in God, and you can say to this mountain, be thrown into the ocean, you, you have to realize this is what we call uh, hyperbole. It's, a, it's an exaggeration, okay, to, to make a point. It represents what appears to be impossible, immovable, and beyond finite ability. And that's good. Why? Because, listen, when we're in that position, when we find ourselves standing in that place where a situation is impossible, immovable, and beyond our finite ability, that is where faith begins. It's where faith begins. Believing faith taps into God's power to accomplish His purpose. Again, Andrew Murray, and I'm going to refer to him several times this morning, and the, and the reason so is because he's probably written one of the best books on prayer. Andrew Murray says, We have a God who delights in impossibilities. We have a God who delights in impossibilities. I mean, think about your Bible. Think about all the stories that you read throughout Scripture. And how many times uh, God leads His people right up into situations that is so far beyond their scope, so far beyond their ability, so far beyond anything that, that they could muster up in and of themselves to do what? To show that He is the God of the impossible. True and believing prayer is not attempting to get God to change His will to fit our plans. It is a passionate pursuit to see God's plans accomplished in us. Prayer is not conjuring God up like some genie in a bottle obligated to grant us whatever we wish. And here I'm going to show you a few verses to keep us from drawing such foolish Conclusions. Well, maybe not. My battery may have went dead, Mark. All right, so look at... Keep going. Yeah, keep going. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. All right, so look at what Jesus says. Pray, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now watch, here's the key. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's what we want. Yes, the, the Lord tells us to ask for the impossible. Why? Because prayer is the means by which God accomplishes his will in the earth. And there are times when we pray and we ask God to do the impossible, and He does. Why? Because that was His will. But, but yet there are other times, like, look at this next verse in Mark chapter 14, verse 36. This is Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Now that's confidence in God's power, right? 
all things are possible for you. That's confidence in God's power. But look at what he says. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but you will. So not only does he have confidence, supreme confidence in God's power, but he's got complete submission to God's will. He, he knows, Jesus knows that the Father can do anything that he wants to do. He has complete power to, to do whatever Jesus asks. But, but Jesus is also, in his prayer life, completely submitted to what God's will is. You see, the Bible does say you have not because you ask not. And so what we need to do is we need, we need to be bold enough and confident enough in, in God to ask whatever. But we also need to be submissive to God to know that whatever His answer will be, and He will answer, He will either answer our prayer in, in the way that we prayed it, or He will answer our prayer differently than we prayed it. But what we can rest assured in is that He will answer our prayer. John 14, verse 13 and 14. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. That's verse 13. Now look at verse 14. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, before we go on, well, just leave that up, yeah. Uh, he goes on in John fifteen seven to say this, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That, that, that's important there. Because again, God's not saying he's some kind of genie in a bottle that you, you, you just got to have enough faith to twist his arm the right way to get what you want or, 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 or just whatever you say to him. Lord, this is what I, I wish that it will be done for you. Notice what he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. See, here's what, here's what happens in the process of Christian maturity. As we mature as Christians, what we learn more and more is that we can have confidence in asking God for anything and confidence in what we should be asking God for. And then what we also happens is we become more and more submitted to God's will. You see, this morning it was not a contradiction for me to ask the Lord in my prayer to do what only He could do in Ukraine. That, that army is outnumbered. They, the, the Russian army is far superior in every way possible. And as I said in my prayer, the, the generals and the commentators and, and the analysts have all come out and said that this should be a slam dunk. And even they were saying this morning that they have been baffled at, at the fact that uh, uh, Russia has not already taken the capital city and that more of Ukraine has fallen and that even in some areas that these, uh, these uh, uh, Ukrainians, some of them who are not even military trained, who have just had a weapon stuck in their hand, are, are actually in some areas pushing back the Russian army. You see, we can pray and ask God to, to do the impossible, to, to intervene in that situation, to, to turn the tide in, uh, uh, in the favor of the Ukrainians. We can do that with complete confidence. 
And we should pray that way. But we should also know that in our praying, that if God doesn't answer that prayer, if, if He doesn't work it out in that way, if something else comes of this situation, it doesn't mean that God didn't hear our prayer. It doesn't mean that God's not in control of that situation. It just means that God has a better plan than the one that we ask Him to do. Y'all tracking with me on that? You see, sometimes we think the plan that we ask God to carry out is the best plan. And here's what I can guarantee you when you pray. Is ever how God answers your prayer, that will be the best way for God to carry out His plan in this world. And that's what we have to trust. So that's not, it's not doubting, it's not... Uh, you know, it's not wavering. It's, it's understanding that we have been told by the king of the universe to come and bring great big petitions before him while at the same time, knowing that he can do anything, while at the same time being fully submitted to his will. Mark, let's go on to John 16. I got I to gotta speed up here, spit more time here than I thought. <clears throat> In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you receive that your joy may be full. Now, 1 John 5, 1 John 5, 14 and 15, and this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we ask of Him. Listen, when we pray mountain-moving faith, when we pray with mountain-moving faith, our God will give us what we need to glorify His name. And one of His hymns, and Mark's going to put this up on the screen, I believe, John Newton, he's, he's famous for several hymns. Uh, I asked the Lord that I might grow uh, amazing grace. But he wrote this song called Come My Soul in 1779. Listen to how this song, this is, these are the kinds of songs you need in these kind of moments. Thou art coming to a king. Large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power are such that none can ever ask too much. Think about that. Thou art coming to a king. Large petitions with thee bring. For grace and for his grace and power are such, none can ever ask too much. So when we pray, we trust not only in his power to give us what we ask, but also in his wisdom to give us what we need. I trust him enough to have him turn me down even if that's what he chooses. That means we may receive answers we do not want, find things that we're not looking for, and have doors opened and closed we do not expect. Look at this next statement that's going to come up on the screen. When prayer is the source of faith, faith's power and the means of its strength, God's sovereignty is its only restriction. Now you need to, that's, that's one of those, 
That's one of those preaching points that you gotta, you got to meditate on for a while. There's no, I don't even know who said this, because where I found it, no credit was given to the individual. Even the guy that I heard say it said that he didn't know who said it. So I don't, I don't even know who to give the credit for on this. But I've been thinking about this all week long as I was thinking about the sermon when prayer is the source of faith's power and the means of its strength. Then God's sovereignty is its only restriction. That's what I've been saying. Put big prayers up. Because the only thing that's going to restrict God from answering that prayer is his sovereignty. Is the fact that God says, you know what? I'm not going to answer that prayer in that way. Why? Because actually, I got something better that I'm going to bring out of that. And so that, again, that's what we have to do in prayer. Pray big prayers. Ask God to do great things. Ask God to move mountains in the seas. Not literally, you understand that. Ask God to do the impossible. And then trust that God will do what is right. You see, sometimes you, you kind of... We need to be a little more skeptical of our praying at times. That we, we think we always know what, we, what is right to ask for. But here's what we can do. We can trust a good, a good heavenly father that when we ask big things in his name, in faith, and look, it don't take much faith, just a little faith, faith that the grain is a much. Look, you know how much faith it takes? The amount of faith that it takes is expressed in the, pray, in the fact that you prayed to begin with. Some people say, oh, I've got to work out more and more faith before I pray. No, faith is that grain of a mustard seed that it takes in order to have enough faith to pray. Why? Because the very act of prayer itself is an act of faith. And then trust God, trust God. Now, let, let me do something real quick. Yeah, you can leave that up on the screen, Mark. Let me, let me do something real quick here. Did Jesus promise to give us literally anything we ask for in faith? Let, let me just kind of work that out real quick, and then I've got one more point, and we'll, we'll be done. On the face of it, this verse seems to be saying that God will grant any request we make of him as long as we believe. On the other hand, Paul asked God three times to be, to be relieved of the thorn in the flesh, and God refused. That's 2 Corinthians 12. There are limitations on what God will give, indicated by both the context and by other texts, as well as by the laws of God's own nature and the universe. God cannot literally give us anything. Some things are actually impossible. For example, God cannot grant a request of a creature to be God. Neither can he answer a request to approve of our sin. God will not give us a stone if we ask for bread, nor will he give us a serpent if we ask for a fish. Matthew 7. The context of Jesus' promise of Mark 11 indicates that it was not unconditional. For the very next verse says what? If you forgive your brother, then God will forgive your trespass. Thus, there is no reason to believe that Jesus intended us to make, take his promise to give us whatever things we ask without any conditions. And then lastly, all difficult passages should be interpreted in harmony with other 
passages of Scripture. And it is clear that God does not promise, for example, to heal everyone for whom he, for, uh, for, for, that we pray for healing for. Paul wasn't healed, though he prayed earnestly. Jesus taught that it was not the blind man's lack of faith that hindered him from being healed. Rather, according to John 9, that the works of God should be revealed in him. In spite of the Apostle Paul's divine ability to heal others, later he apparently could not heal his good friend Epaphroditus in Philippians 2.25, or another brother in the ministry, a guy named Trophimus. Imagine if you got named that at birth. In 2 Timothy 4.20, it clearly was not unbelief that brought Job's sickness on him in Job 1.1. What's more, if faith of the recipient were the condition of receiving the miracle, then none, then none of the dead Jesus raised would have come back to life. Why? Because dead people can't believe. When the rest of Scripture is taken into consideration, there are many conditions placed on God's promise to answer prayer in addition to faith. Look, we must abide in Him, uh, John 15, 7. We cannot ask amiss out of our own selfishness, James 4, 3. We must... Ask according to God's will, 1 John 5, 14. Even Jesus prayed, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me in Matthew 26, 39. For prayer is not a means by which God serves us. Rather, it is a means by which we serve God. Now listen to this. Prayer is not a, a means by which we get our will done in heaven, but a means by which God gets his will done on earth. Last point. Praying impossible prayers is impossible without forgiveness. How about this? Let me, let me change that a little bit. Praying any prayer is a waste of time without forgiveness. What did Jesus say in that verse 25? He says, if you don't forgive others... And he's already on record all the way back in the book of Matthew. Jesus says, look, if you, if you don't forgive others, then, then don't waste your time praying to me because my ears have been turned off to your prayer. Now, some of us in this room right now might have some prayers that we've been praying that maybe are temporarily on hold Because we have yet to forgive. This word forgive is the same word used in the Bible for releasing a wife or an act of divorce. And the secular Greek is found in a writing that says, in effect, let the pot drop. That's a great word picture for forgiveness. Let the pot, the pot drop. So let me, let me put this in good southern language that we all understand. The great theologian, Garth Brooks, I'll bring him into the sermon this morning. You know what Garth said? He said, we bury the hatchet, but we leave the handles sticking out. We're always digging up things we should forget about. When it comes to forgetting, baby, there ain't no doubt. We bury the hatchet, but we leave the handles sticking out. And there is the difficult part. Forgive is in the present 
tense, which means that we have to keep on doing it forever. What it means is you can't bury the hatchet and leave the handle sticking out. You, you, you can't bury it to where you can go back and pick it up again. Jesus doesn't say forgive and forget. Jesus says forgive and no longer hold that against that person. That means bury the hatchet all the way in the ground. Listen, you can't do it. It's impossible in your own innate power, but it is Him, H-I-M, possible in the Spirit's incomparable power. An unforgiving spirit will form a fatal roadblock in your prayer life. This is my last verse this morning. It's found in Psalm 66, 18. Look what it says. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would have not listened. What does that mean? If you are cherishing iniquity in your heart, the Lord is not hearing your prayer. You know what? If God can reconcile with a sinner, you and I can reconcile with another saint or another sinner. Faith in God expressed in prayer makes the impossible possible, yet answered prayer is impossible without forgiveness. So I, I'm going to end right here with a couple of questions. This morning, where's your prayer life? I, I'm not asking you, uh, you know, how much time are you praying? I, I'm just simply asking the question this morning, are you praying? And, and has your prayers become cynical and what i mean by cynical is simply this uh, you you've just quit asking god for the impossible because you've asked him for it so many times in the past and yet god has failed to come through or not necessarily or failed to come through in your eyes but god has chosen to answer that prayer in a different way and so you think, why, what's the use then? What's, what's the use of praying impossible prayers? I had to ask myself that question just this week. What impossible prayers am I praying? What, what am I taking to God and asking God to do that I know that only He can do? And I'll have to be honest with you this, this, this morning. Is that I had to... <laughs> I had to have a time of repentance. Why? Because I really couldn't find anything that I'm praying about that kind of fit that category. And I had to ask my own self, have I become cynical? Because I prayed some big prayers in the past and God chose to answer in different ways. And then I got to thinking about some people who were praying some pretty big prayers in the Bible. And it took the Lord a long time 
before he, kept, before he answered those prayers. And I'm sure that's why the, in the New Testament, the Bible teaches us one other truth about prayer. <clears throat> and then that prayer should be persistent. It ought to be persistent. Jesus tells a parable about a nagging woman, and he says, that's what you are to be like in prayer. A nagging, a woman who just nagged the judge over and over and over again. Why? Not because we can nag or make God submit to us, but why? Because God wants us to be fully submitted to him. And then lastly is just this. How many of us this morning, when it came up on the screen, come on, David, when it came up on the screen that impossible prayers aren't answered because of unforgiveness, And something automatically just kind of went off into your heart and your head. And you said, "Uh uh-oh. That's a problem in my life. That's a huge problem. And it's not only impossible prayers that God's not going to answer. It's going to be any prayer that you pray that he's not going to answer. Why? Because the first prayer that needs to be prayed... Is Lord, you have forgiven me of so much. Help me to forgive those who have done so little against me. And when that prayer is prayed, then that prayer opens the door for any other praying to take place. So I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes this morning. I'm just going to ask David to do this last hymn that he picked out for us this morning. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word. And listen, this morning, that's what Christ wants.